All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord, for um, this Advent season. And whatever we have going on, some of us desperately need a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of healing. Maybe we need to be challenged today. Maybe there's some things that we need to recalibrate in our minds and in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you know exactly what that is. And so we lift ourselves up to you. We live this time, lift this time up to you. Um, you're over all things. So bless us. God, speak clearly to your people. It's in your name. Amen. So we are wrapping up Joseph series today and also starting Advent at the exact same time. Ending Joseph, starting Advent, perfect, okay? Uh, and so if you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, just kind of outline what all has happened in the life of Joseph up to this point. Number one, uh, Joseph was a triple threat guy. He was good looking. He was successful. He was well built, okay? So he had everything going for him that uh, we hate to love about people, okay? And uh, he was incredibly talented. Things went well for him. Uh, second youngest in his whole family, given authority and power and leadership over his brothers. They get insanely jealous, angry, and even hateful. They throw him into a pit. He's then sold into slavery. Uh, he then begins to cry, uh, climb his way into prominence. Then he has this whole uh, unfair, unjust accusation placed before him as he is... Uh, uh, more attuned to being loyal to his boss's wife than the boss's wife, okay? And so then he ends up in a dungeon for two years, forgotten all about, and then eventually he rises now to prominence and leadership, second in command only to Pharaoh. And as we left off last week, there's this moment where uh, Joseph is brought smack dab face to face with his own brothers, and his reaction is kind of crazy. He actually weeps, Scripture says. And what we talked about uh, last week as well was just this idea that he names his brothers in a way that, are, I mean his sons, in a way that is actually like a declaration that he's over it. He's now successful. He's healed. He's a better version of himself. Those are the names basically that he infuses into his boys. And yet when he's finally confronted after 20 years with his past, Scripture says he weeps, and what we talked about last week was just this idea that we say kind of weird phrases in our culture, forgive and forget. Forgetting doesn't happen. You remember how you physically were hurt? If you have scars, you could tell me how you got them, and the emotional ones run even deeper than the physical ones. And so forgetting is not the measure of forgiveness, because it's just not going to happen. And Joseph was no exception to that. And so what we're going to look at today is this story picked up from last week that finally um, Joseph's family gets really, really hungry. They have this moment with Joseph. Joseph accuses them of not being uh, on the up and up. In fact, maybe being spies. Um, they're scared to death. They have this few interactions where finally Joseph said, listen, I want to see the youngest brother, Benjamin. I want you to bring him back here. And when you do that, then I'll know that, that you're the, on the real deal. We can trust you. Until then, like this is not going to work out so well. And so what scripture says is that um, uh, Joseph's brothers head back home, uh, loaded up with grain. In fact, Joseph even puts all of their silver back in their pouches. They get home uh, to only be quite alarmed at that, that fact because they have all the grain that they needed and they didn't spend a dime. So now they're really worried. 
And they know now they better do what Joseph's saying or they may uh, not either going to starve to death or they're going to head back and ask for grain and maybe one of them will never come home. So they agree to bring the younger brother, all right, to great trepidation from their old man, Jacob, and they come back. They come back this time and they bring double the silver. They return it. They come back with double the silver than they had the last time. And then they did kind of what was 5,000 years ago, kind of the equivalent of like a gift basket, okay? Has some almonds in it, has like choice stuff from around the area, just kind of a peace offering, all right, in case this doesn't go well. So they come back to Joseph, right? And then Joseph sees the whole family. They have this really interesting, intimate meal. And actually, as the meal is taking place, Joseph makes sure and gives the youngest brother, Benjamin, five times the portion of everyone else. He's just watching. Are you going to be jealous of him getting five times the food that you got? How are you going to react when the youngest gets something that you didn't get? If it looks like favoritism, what's the communication, what's the conversation going to be around the dinner table? And he's just watching and just listening. Dinner goes off without a hitch. He's going to send them all back home, and he tells his right-hand man, here's the deal. I got this silver cup that's mine. I want you to put it in the satchel of Benjamin when they leave. And when they get a little ways down the road, then I want you to run them down and bring them back. So sure enough, family loads up. Joseph takes care of them again. They start leaving, and all of a sudden, here comes Joseph's right-hand man in hot pursuit. And he actually says to him, you're going to repay good with evil? Are you kidding me? They go, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you talking about? This, was, this is a, an honest transaction. There's, there's, there's no issues here. He goes, let me look through each one of your satchels. Everybody open those up. And they go through every one of the brothers, and everything's, everything's good. No one's got anything. Well, they get to Benjamin, and there's the silver cup. And they all die because they know. Dad said, don't you dare lose the youngest. Come back, every last one of you. Don't you do this. And they're all just freaking out. And now they're before Joseph, and they're just pleading their case. And what's incredible is of all people, who speaks up in this pivotal moment in the story is Judah. Let me just give you the high points of Judah. The fourth oldest son. Judah was the brainchild behind, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. I mean, let's have some class. After all, he is family, okay? That's Judah. Judah, who was the father of the year, okay? So much so that God in Genesis chapter 38 kills both of his kids because they're that evil, okay? This is Judah who actually slept with his daughter-in-law, but it's okay. It was classy because he only thought she was a prostitute. This is Judah. There is nothing about him that has integrity or character. He's showing it time and time and time again. And Judah finally speaks up and says, here's, here's the thing, listen, we cannot let this happen. We can't let it happen. It'll break my father's heart. In fact, my father is saying he probably won't live with that heartache. It'll kill him. And then Judah says, let me take his place. I'll be your servant. Spare Benjamin. Spare the youngest. And it's in that moment that finally Joseph has seen everything that he needed to see. Changed hearts, repentance, 
a different mindset within the brothers than he'd ever seen or remembered 20 years earlier. And that's where our story picks up in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence so that, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Verse two, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For five weeks, we've talked about purpose and plan. No matter what's happened in your life, there's a perfect purpose. There's a perfect plan. This is not that you sent me into slavery. It was that God sent me ahead of you. The pain, the heartache, the loneliness, and the isolation was all a part of sending me to save you. You catch that? Verse six, for two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. You may be wondering what was at stake. Do you realize that forgiveness was paramount in this story? If forgiveness doesn't happen, lots and lots of people die. If forgiveness doesn't happen, the line with which Jesus would come from, not from Joseph, would be cut off. Forgiveness is paramount in this story. It saves the lives of whole nations. It's what keeps Joseph from forever being the boy in a pit to being a man that's capable of compassion and kindness that he was never shown ever in his life. If you want to know if you're with that person in your life that has ripped out a part of your heart or some of the things that maybe you dealt with as a kid, see, that's most of us, whether we want to realize it or not, and I'm not trying to go Dr. Phil on you, I'm just telling you how it is, okay? Most of our insecurities, most of our problems, most of the things that we struggle with, you could point a line to experiences and things that happened to us when we were kids and when we were teenagers. It's just real. And there's a difference between forever being the kid in the pit and being the person that's able to show kindness and grace and mercy that you may never have been shown in your early years, your formative years, your informative years. And if you want to know if you're getting there with that person or that situation, it's the day that you're more grieved by what that person became than what they did to you. The day that you grieve more for who they became than for what they did. That's when you begin to know that something's beginning to change in your heart. You'll always remember it. It'll always stay with you. See, for, for Joseph, it was grieved by the fact that his entire family is going to starve to death. 
And that began to take precedence over the past. And forgiveness was the bridge from what was to what could be. But he never lets go that God has a purpose and God has a plan. Now, here's the question for you. Are you 41, are you 42, or are you 45? I'm not talking about your age, so don't raise your hands, okay? All right, are you Genesis 41? Genesis 41, he is convinced, okay? He's over it. Genesis 41, he's convinced he's good, and maybe that's you, and hey, whatever that is, if you're over it, God bless you, I'm a little bit jealous. That's awesome, okay? If you're Genesis 41, if you're 42, you're finally confronted with that reality and it's tearing your heart out all over again. And maybe for you, it's this time of year. You think you're good. You've made the declaration that you're fine and then all of a sudden reality comes rushing in and you are struggling and you don't even know why. Or maybe you're 45. You're hurt. You're hurt, but you're healed. And you can be hurt and you can be healed. And we'll look at that and what I mean by that in Genesis chapter 50. Follow along. Because this is how Joseph's life ends. Check it out. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Did you catch that? three and four generations that would sit on his knee, not rotting away in a hole somewhere. See, here's, uh, I'll give you this example. I had someone in my office not long ago, and they were just trying, they were getting, uh, they're moving towards marriage, okay? And uh, they were just kind of expressing to me that um, they're having a hard time seeing the freedom in marriage, okay? This is kind of what they were describing. I know some of you men are like, yeah, yeah, well, you're not married if you're doing this, okay? Anyway, all right, and so they were, he was expressing to me that there's this issue that for him, the thought of just coming home every day just doesn't feel right to him. Like, I gotta get free, man. I gotta be out with my buddies. I got stuff I gotta do. Like, I can't just, uh, like, come home and do this, whatever that is. Are you kidding me? And so then I asked him, I said, hey, Tell me about your dad. Like, what was, what was that like? He goes, man, he was never home. Ever. Never a part of my life. Never a part of big decisions. All the major events, he wasn't there. He was gone all the time. It was basically just me and my mom. That's it. And what I told him was this. You might spend the next 50 years of your life feeling weird and awkward and uncomfortable coming home every day to have dinner with your family and talking about your day may for your entire existence feel weird. That's called your scar and it's not gonna go away. You'll always remember how it got there and you will spend the rest of your life with the breath that's in your body doing something that feels weird to you. But here's the thing. 
you have a son, and that son, what is he gonna watch? He's gonna watch you come home every day. And you know what'll happen? He won't know any different. All your son will know is that this is normal. Not that dad is, is MIA. Actually, what's normal is dad is always home. Dad has dinner. Dad plays with the kids. And it may be hard for you your entire life, but guess what? Junior, when he grows up, that's now the new norm. And he's gonna show the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And the only way you bridge the gap from the mess and the pain and the isolation of dad never being around to your son having a very healthy home life is forgiveness. It's the only thing that bridges from here to here and waiting in the mess. You'll always remember, you'll always know, it'll always feel kind of strange, but you just press forward, keep moving, trust it, even if it feels bizarre and foreign. This is what you do. And that's what Joseph did. He changed three to four generations after him. And he bridged the gap by forgiving. His boys and his grandkids would never know what it's like to sit in a hole and be isolated and alone and rejected would never know what it's like to rot away in a dungeon, would never know what it's like to have people literally trying to destroy you. They'd never know it. And they would reap the benefits of his forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. It's what takes something that's the most shameful in your past and actually turns it into a virtue for the next generation. It's what actually takes something that is profoundly broken in your family right now and turns it into something that is beautiful to the next generation. Taking your pain and turns that into something that people forever look at you with reverence and respect because look how good God was in your most lonely, broken moments. It's powerful. And this is what's mind-blowing about this story. <laughs> because if you and I would have written it, the line of Jesus, no doubt, would come through Joseph. He's the best. He's good-looking. He's got it all going on. Come on. Nope. It comes through Judah. Judah. Read this, you'll see it, Genesis chapter 49. This is the blessing that Jacob gives his son Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he too, whom it belongs, shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Judah is the type of person that is in your family that you don't even talk about unless someone has known you for at least 10 years. Judah is the type of person that just so happens to miss the family picture that's sitting above your fireplace in your home. You don't talk about him. 
right? And not only does God push him to the forefront of the story, God saves all of humanity, every living soul made available this forgiveness because it came through the line of this person. If there's ever been this beauty of the story being about something greater than Joseph, in fact, that's the killer of this whole story. It's not about Joseph at all. It's about how God saves people through Joseph, how God would make a way for Jesus to come through the acts of Joseph. Have you ever noticed this is what's crazy? Jesus is baptized. Sky opens up. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's set apart with a different identity. What happens with Joseph? He's given an entirely different identity than everyone else. He's different, right? He goes into the dungeon. What happens? There's two criminals, one on his left, one on his right. They both want to know what's going to happen. One is spared, one is lost. What happens to Jesus on the cross? One on his left, one on his right. One is spared. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. One is lost. What happens? God uses the anger and the hatred of Joseph's own brothers, his own people, to turn on him in such a way that he would use their own anger and hatred to turn around and save them. What happens with Jesus? He uses the anger and the hatred and the vitriol of people to only create the means necessary to save them. This isn't even about Joseph. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the coming of Jesus. And if there's anything we have to be careful of, it's not to put our eyes on anyone or anything else. It's all about Jesus. We had um, this past week the G20 Summit. You, maybe you keep up with politics. I, I dabble, okay? And I saw the G20 summit, and they took kind of their group picture, okay? And the, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia was standing there. He was like on the second row, okay? Um, that is uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, okay? And he's standing there, and Hyler points at him and goes, Jesus. I'm like, that's not Jesus. <laughs> Especially if you've been keeping up with, anyway, all right? Yeah. Not Jesus. And I go, no, that's not Jesus. Heiler begins to argue with me. Yes, that's Jesus. No, Heiler, that's not Jesus. Yes, that's Jesus. No, it's not. Then I'm like, okay. So I have a little picture of Jesus in my Bible. I said, uh, Heiler, um, see how he's wearing a hat? Jesus doesn't wear a hat. He's like, oh. And then I look, showed him the picture, and I say, see the bobos on Jesus' hand? See that guy's hands? He doesn't have bobos. Oh. Success, all right? Debated the two-year-old and I put him down, all right? That's why I went to school for four years. Don't step up, two-year-old, okay? And what ended up happening, right, is we just talked about the bobos. There's only one that's got scars walking around for you, buddy. There's only one. And if you want that kind of forgiveness to take over your life and your heart, that's the only place you're going to find it. Not on Black Friday. Not on Cyber Monday. Okay? And listen, I get it. In the Duffy family, we had the lights up in October. All right? Happy Halloween and Merry Christmas. Okay? That was our lives. We're all about it. Karen Carpenter, the whole nine. Okay? It's happening for like three months. Okay? Because if one month of Christmas is great, why not three? Okay? I understand that whole thing. But I'm just telling you, if your eyes are anywhere else other than Jesus, you're going to get snooked again by January 1. You're going to be like, wow, I thought it would be different this time, and it's not. It's just another distraction. There's only one that's got the bobos. You know what I'm saying? There's only one. 
Everything else is a distraction. And so if you're struggling here this morning, you have a hard time forgiving something that just continues to own you. It's okay to remember. You may remember the rest of your days. But if you will fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, recognize that in these coming months, this is all about Jesus. These next four weeks of Advent is all about Jesus. He will do an amazing healing and an amazing work in your life. You may always see the scar. You may always remember the scar and how you got it. But generational impact in your family and in your life, bridging that gap, is called forgiveness. And it is something that Jesus first readily gave each and every one of us. While we were still yet sinners, he gave it to each and every one of us. His beautiful forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. And may that mark us this entire Advent season. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Just remind us that this is all about you. It's all about you. We wouldn't be a people that's distracted. Wouldn't be distracted by our own scars, our own frustrations, our own heartache. It's all about you, Jesus. And where we're having a hard time forgiving Meet us in that place. God, as we attempt to surrender, bring us comfort and peace. Where we have a desire to break free from the stuff of the past, we acknowledge that you own our past, our present, and our future. We acknowledge that we are broken people in desperate need of grace. We ask that you would do a healing work in our lives. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We hope and pray that the message that you just heard was powerful, impactful, and applicable to your life. This part of our service is now our offering opportunity. You will see that a plate will be passed shortly. We also have other opportunities to give, text to give, as well as on our website. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to remind you that you're under no obligation whatsoever to give in any way, shape, or form. Your presence here with us is truly a gift to Pilgrim. For those of you that are members or regular attenders here at Pilgrim, we want to invite you into an opportunity to sacrificially give to the ministries at Pilgrim, a tangible expression of your trust in God's plan and the blessings that he's given you. Your gifts to Pilgrim enable us to make Jesus known not only in the Bel Air and Myerland area, but also to the very ends of the earth. 